The message today is the Spirit of God moves in the church. We uh, will not have a PowerPoint today. I know it is, it is uh, interesting, I think, to have a little visual, but we will not have that. We'd like to just uh, be without that as we give this message today, and I want to add this thought to that as we think about the need for such things. I think it does add something, but think about this, and especially young people today as you are as you have been uh, met with all kinds of opportunity through electricity, did you know that the Spirit of God does not need electricity? And so for centuries, men have wrestled with God, walked with God, be led, been led by God, inspired by God, without all the aids that we have today. So ask yourself this, especially young people, if all of the things that, that require electricity were taken from you, would you still be having a rich spiritual experience? So take away all of the music, all of the media, the uh, telephone. Would your experience in Christ still be rich, and if, if that thought makes you wince and, and uh, suffer, even in thought, then let's examine the source of our spiritual experience. So just a thought in, in beginning. What is the church? We'd like to just speak of that for just a moment as we think about the Spirit moving through the church. We will not have an acronym, but we'll just have some, some numbered points. So number one, what is the church? And we'll need to move <clears throat> rapidly, and so we won't be in-depth with very many of these items. But uh, the word church means assembly or the called out um, and so we want to think of that as we think of, of who God is calling to be a part of his people. What is the church? How would you define that? What do you think about when you think about church? Turn to Matthew 16, very familiar scripture where Jesus is speaking and uses this word church. Makes a very simple statement here that is referred to often in Christianity and for various reasons it is quoted. But Matthew 16 and the 18th verse, Jesus says this. Let's, let's back up here a little so we get the whole context. The 15th verse, he saith unto his disciples here, Whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wonderful confession that Peter made. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Various thoughts here, but I think that, that Jesus is saying that upon this rock which is either this confession that he is the Christ or he himself being the rock, either one is satisfactory, upon this foundation, this church will be built and he said, I will build it. So this is important for us to know as we, as we think about what the church is, that it's something that he himself is building. So we may try to create all kinds of things. And we may try to build our own church and make it just so. But in fact, that privilege has been taken away from us. He himself is the builder of his church. So he alone knows who is a part of his people. I'll quickly read just three verses here. You don't have to turn to these, but you can make a note of them where the term churches is used. Romans 16, 4, who have for my life laid down their own necks, speaking of some of the disciples, 
unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Here the word church is used in a, in a plural manner, and I, in most of the circumstances, not all, in the New Testament, the word church seems to be referring to the local assembly, but, but not always. In its plural form, of course it does, there were many assemblies, and so he says all the churches. 2 Corinthians 8, 18, we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. <clears throat> Paul speaking of some of the things he was suffering and some of the burdens he was bearing. He gives quite an impressive list and ends up, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. In other words, he felt a responsibility to aid and care for the burdens and difficulties of all the assemblies that had begun to assemble and to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Revelation 2.23, speaking of, of that woman Jezebel and, and the uh, things that were entering into the church, and we'd like to speak a little about the purity of this church today. We can't spend a lot of time there, but we want to touch on this. He says, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and heart and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. God is very concerned about the, about the testimony and the purity of the church of God. And we will continue to see that as we move forward here this morning. Number two, a comment about the universal church. We know there is such a thing. And what we mean by this when we use this term is the church that is all over the globe and the Lord knoweth them that are his. And so while primarily we speak of a, an organized local assembly, we also know that in every place there are those that are serving God and, and we want our mind to be open to that and aware of that. Even while we are very um, tenacious about keeping a pure doctrine ourselves, we want to know that there are in other places many who are also serving God. We, sometimes we see large institutional churches that, that have different ceremonies and it seems like they have gotten so far away from truth. And yet I have in my mind that when God in that final day calls His own, there will be those that, whose hearts are faithful in those churches that he will bring out of those places. I just have that, that feeling deep within. Much, there's much sincerity many times where there's a lack of knowledge. And so God will be the judge of all those things. Turn to 1 Corinthians 1. I want to see an expression here as Paul begins his letter to the church at Corinth. That I think is a very fitting description of the universal church. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 1, 2. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified. Notice this description here. This is who he intends to write to. And so he knew this message would go on out further than Corinth. To them that are sanctified. Notice that first, very first description of those that are a part of God's true church sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And he makes this point, he is both theirs and he is ours. Very clear and specific point that needs to be known by us when we get too, a little too narrow <clears throat> in our thoughts about who is in God's church. Now, I want to make a comment. I hope, I hope no one here is uncomfortable with this, but we, we're singing a song here, we have been, called Make Us One. And beautiful song, and, and we're not sure who the author is or for what reason this, this song was written, and we're not objecting to the song. 
But the song, the song can leave the impression that all the walls ought, ought to come down between all those who use the name of Jesus. And I want, I want us to, uh, I think we all know, I mean, all of us, as we have lived very long, and the young people are in the middle of this, that when we, we see what we call Christianity, a lot of questions come. Because we see those that, that are naming the name of Christ, who are still, obviously, it's very apparent, we heard about fruit last night, following after the fashions of the world. Like they're still in slavery. And yet they are Christian churches. Or we see some that, while well, we have a conviction of following what the Lord taught there through Paul regarding the veiling for the Christian woman, but we see so many that do not. And God, we're not making any judgment on that. I'm just saying these are questions that arise in our hearts and they also rise when we have the thought of all believers being one or that they should be one. We're thinking about the universal church and we're thinking about Christianity in its evolving form. We also see that there is, for example, divorce and remarriage just commonly accepted. Adultery right in the church. I have a very close relative of mine that left our people and went to a church there in Ohio now that uh, was on the phone a while back with her and she just described what they're experiencing there in their church and, and their pastor will preach against divorce and remarriage but in the congregation and around their communion table are many divorced and remarried people but there's just this concept that, that uh, it's none of anybody's business we're just commune alone with God and and so there we have a mixture in the church, a polluted setting. And then further now, in later years, there are those that have what they call alternate lifestyles, and, and, and that's right in the middle of the churches. It's in the churches. <clears throat> we had an experience recently there where, where the LCS school is, and that we're principal there of receiving an email, it's one of, we, we'll just say our, our sister church, that uh, typically we would just feel really close to. I mean, in our historic setting, of all the denominations, our historic sister churches, we, we just have a close affinity for. And in this, in this little newsletter, I saw there was a, one of their districts, which is a cluster of congregations, had all accepted and it was, it was actually happening, a pastor who was actively gay. So I emailed him back and said, I'd just like to chat with you a little. I'd like to just know, I noticed this in your newsletter. I'd like to know what, uh, how your congregation feels about this and how you feel about it. So we made an appointment, and a week, week later or so, I sat down in his office, and, and uh, he tried to answer those questions. He was kind of troubled about this meeting. He wasn't sure what I was going to say or he thought maybe we would stop being there and paying rent. That was his main concern, it seemed like, as the conversation went on. But anyway, he said, he said there would be some in our congregation that, that uh, would have no issue with this. There would be some who are opposed to it and the majority would say that it's not an issue. It's just not an important issue. And he finally went on to say, as for me, it's no issue with me either. So here was a pastor of a church who in his mind has accepted totally uh, gay marriage, transgender, and, and it's no issue with him. It is not sin. And so he went on to explain that. I, I won't go into detail. He went back into the scripture. I asked him about several scriptures. And he went back and, and uh, reasoned and reasoned and explained why he felt that way. I went through Romans 1 with him and told him how we felt. And, and he just said, very interesting, very interesting. And at one point in the conversation, I, I said, I'm very troubled with this conversation. And he said, uh, well... Can we still break bread together? 
So, I just want our thoughts to be like this. I'm not, I'm not opposed to this song, Make Us One. It's the words of Jesus. It's simply his desire that believers be one. But the scripture says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And so don't try to take something that is defiled and make it one with Christianity. So I don't know how the application of all that should be. But do not be ashamed of holding high the standard of God. And having a believer, a desire that believers should be one, but being discerning about that, lest you, you just wash out into an acceptance of everything. God help us to be discerning in all of this. And, and I just say, may God have mercy on the children of men. But we cannot be at one with the unfruitful works of darkness. So may the Lord bless us in our discernment of this and, and help us. Number three, <clears throat> the Spirit of God moves in His church. And let's think about that for a little. And let's go to the second chapter of the Acts to begin considering this. Acts chapter 2. As we begin to think about the, the Spirit of God and how it moved and is moving in the church of God, we'll refer to the second chapter and also to the fourth. Let's begin reading just a few verses here in in uh, Acts 2 and 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized in the same day. There were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now notice this, this moving of the church, of the spirit in the church, in the hearts of men and women here in this passage. They continued steadfastly. This was a fruit of the indwelling of the spirit. This is... This is right after Pentecost. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That means in their teaching, being obedient to their teaching, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, get this, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved." Move over to the fourth chapter. Another descriptive testimony here of God working in His church in the hearts of men and women. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which He possessed was His own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. I love that verse. With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That means in their preaching, in their teaching, and in their lives, it was clearly manifest that the Lord had risen again. And the Lord poured grace out upon that scene. Neither was there any among them that lacked. Think about this. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. I think this is a... A beautiful scripture here, a beautiful description of how the church of God works and still works today. This was, in a literal way, there was something took place here. Just know this, that some of these believers 
new believers were no doubt turned out of their homes. They needed a place. They perhaps lost their jobs. This is still happening today. And so the church immediately took up action. And it would still do the same today. This spirit is still among us. And think about this as you think about this, this phrase here. Neither was there any among them that lacked. It could be that this is speaking primarily of, of physical and financial needs. And we think that was, that was taken care of in the, in the generating of funds and putting together a pool of funds for assisting and aiding. But think about this today as you think of every provision for our soul being met in the Lord Jesus and many times through his people. Are there any around you that lack in the church of God? Both spiritually and naturally, are there any that lack? The Lord intends that His church, His people, be a source of provision by His Spirit, and He may choose to use even you. <clears throat> we see something in the early church that's not quite like this, and it's kind of a sad statement that the Apostle Paul makes in Philippians 2. Turn Turn there with me, and let's just notice this. This is still in the, in the early church. Philippians, and the second chapter. And here he is speaking of Timotheus in the 19th verse. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. That's kind of sad in itself that Paul, in looking around, could not find another young man. But, but he chose Timothy and he said, I just can't find anybody else. Notice the 21st verse, can it be? For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. It's like this hadn't gone very long, this moving of the Spirit, this working in the church, the signs and wonders, time hadn't moved along very far until it was already to the place where, where men were already back to their merchandise and back to their occupations and losing interest in, in giving themselves entirely to the cause of the gospel. Kind of a sad statement. I hate to point it out, but it's, it's, part of the, it's part of the record of the early church. It was a reality. Men's hearts had turned back, many of them. Number four, I know we're moving quickly. The gifts of the Spirit. We'd like to speak of this for just a little. The gifts of the Spirit. Let's turn to the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians for just a little. I know there's a lot, of, a lot of questions and many of them we will not be able to answer this morning, but we are speaking and want to stay right around this topic of how the Spirit moves in the church of God. So, something to think about as we think about the, the uh, gifts of the Spirit and how the Lord works in the members of the body. Let's read a few verses here. Verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now there, excuse me, wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Let's, let's get that, because it is so important for us to know that, just think about this, that when you give forth any expression about the Lord, and that He is God, and that He has blessed you, and that He is, is working in your life, when you call Him Lord, sincerely, it is by the Spirit of God that this even happens. It is by His help and his undergirding, and his enabling. 
Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will." To just know this, we can't, we can't go through this whole passage because of time, but, but get this in your mind that God is working among His people and enabling different members of the body in different ways. And so be at peace with that. Be at peace with, with a brother having a special gift of discernment. Or another having the gift, for example, we have seen this, and sisters too, the gift of helps. We have seen situations where a sister in the congregation, in a very quiet way, every time you hear about a need and think, you know, I, I, we haven't really helped that family much. We really need to. You find out this sister has already been there several weeks ago and has been helping them can and helping them through their trial. This is a gift of discernment and a gift of the Spirit which is enabling and empowering this sister to move about among God's people and bless them. Do not be offended when there is a gift manifest in the body that you don't have. Do not be jealous of gifts. And do not feel like you have no gift or have no place. Now you may not be using the gift God is giving you, and I want to speak a little bit about that. But, but just be aware and rejoice in the diversity of gifts that there are in the body. And I know a lot of times we, we read like Ephesians 4 and we, we say that the Lord has given you know, pastors and teachers and evangelists and, and we kind of can unwittingly leave this impression that all the gifts are up here or all the, all the gifts are over here and just among the brethren or among those that have been called to special responsibility. That's not the case. There are special gifts. There are gifts that are given by the laying on of hands. A special blessing and ordination and empowering by the Spirit of God. But God has divided these gifts among the body to everyone as He sees fit. A question arises sometimes, um, should I, if I, if the Lord has given me a gift, should I, should I know this? Should I seek to know it? And I want to be careful how I answer this, but I think the answer is something like this, that our attention rather should be on making ourselves fully available praying for others, looking about for needs, and God will give us gifts, and sometimes He will give us a gift for a moment. He will bless a conversation in a way that you only look back and saw what happened and you were not even conscious of it then. God is working. But, a, but a way, one way in which we can inhibit this and I just want to encourage us in this way. We are so inclined as individuals to say, that's, that's not my gift. Or I can't do that. Well, if we decide we can't, we have closed the door to God's enabling. I remember a little story in Uncle Arthur's bedtime stories years ago. I don't remember all the details of the little boy that had this problem of, of saying, I can't. But the title of this little story was Knocking Out the Tea. We don't need to be going around saying all the things we can't do. God can help us. And I know I don't want to speak about this too much, but as in testimony, we, I ask people, you know, encourage them to write in, and the first response is, I don't know. I'm not a writer. You know, I, can't, I can't do that. 
Well, it's fine if you can't, if you say you can't. But have you sought the enabling power of God? Have you opened the door or have you closed it to what all God can do? What would happen if all of us would open our hearts to the Lord in total surrender to whatever he would have us do? And forget about ourselves and our reputation and what people would think if we do this or that. And just pray for God to, to open our eyes to those areas where we could labor in behalf of his people if we allow ourselves to. <clears throat> We'd like to talk briefly about the sign gifts. Because it's, it's become quite common in this, these chapters, both the 12th and the 14th chapters of 1 Corinthians here, deal with this, how that because there have been certain signs manifest in old time and in the New Testament here, in the Acts, that, that maybe we have to have certain gifts in order to know that we have the Spirit. And we would like to guide our thoughts away from this, the proof of the Spirit needing to be, for example, speaking in tongues or such things. The Lord did use that, and He may yet today use that. If there is a confirming need in some area of the world, He may yet use the gift of tongues. I think we have testimony in recent history of of an enabling to speak a language that a person could not formerly speak. That's speaking in tongues to edification. It's God spreading His gospel. But what is the proof of the Spirit of God? What is the proof? It is the fruit of His Spirit. It's the evidence that God says He will give. That's what the fruit is. And so... The, this comes to the question, we had not thought about addressing this, but of being born again. Sometimes an individual will, will wrestle with this thought of, am I, am I born again? Well, uh, what is the evidence of being born? You know, I've been in lots of places of business and traveled a lot in the United States and just a little in other countries and nobody ever has looked at me and asked if I was born. Because the evidence is that I'm standing right here alive. The life is here. And so the birth was there. And so the evidence of being born again is not necessarily some, some fantastic experience. I know a lot of Churches will focus on this question. You'll enter into their church to visit their revival, and they will say, what was your born-again experience? And it can be a little bit embarrassing if you don't feel like you have had something really fantastic to tell. But the evidence that I am born is that my life has been changed. Not everyone's experience has been the same. But the evidence of being born is if the life is present, the spiritual life, now, if you, have, if, you, if you wonder sometimes if the life is present, in other words, if you have been tempted in areas and have stumbled and are, and are wrestling with this, Lord, am I really born again? That's an honest question. But, but be strengthened when someone asks me those questions and struggles with evidences in their life, I do not just rush in and try to give assurance because there may be something really big that needs to be repented of. But if, if your stumblings are troubling you and you are desiring better and you're disappointed and are striving to reach up higher, then you have the Spirit of God. The evidence is there that God is working with you and trying to heal you. There's all the evidence of life that you are needing. But go back and if you feel like that you did not repent as you should have, if you feel like your understanding was limited, if you feel like you need more than you have received, then spend time again on your knees and cry out to God and repent all over again. And He will bless you. 
He will bless you with assurance as you seek his face and take consolation in that. We got our numbers mixed up here, but number four, I think, was the gifts of the Spirit. Number five, now, the Spirit working in the church, among the members. How is the Spirit working? Well, let's back up here. I want to read one more passage regarding the evidences and speaking in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14. Let's turn there because it emphasizes, even though Paul says, forbid not to speak with tongues. I think he must have been trying to settle a, a difference there in the church that there must have been a dispute. He said, forbid not to speak with tongues. But in 1 Corinthians 14 and 19, he says this, the 18th verse says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all. He, he was obviously not emphasizing tongues in this chapter. He was, the point is edification. Just, just read this whole chapter. The point is the church being edified. He says, in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. And let's back up and look at something else. <clears throat> As he is beginning to explain this, edification and understanding, let's back up to the 14th verse. If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, that means my mind, my own thought life, I am praying in my mind and spirit, but my understanding is unfruitful. That means no one else can understand. That's his point. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit. I'll pray inwardly with my mind. And I will pray audibly with the understanding also. I'll pray so that others can understand. I will sing with the Spirit. That is in my own heart and mind. And I will sing with the understanding also. That is so that we appreciate the emphasis this week on on, the, on a message going out so that others can understand. It would do no good for us to go into an English assembly and, and sing in Spanish. That's not going to help them. So we sing in English so that the English can understand. That's his point. So that all can be edified is the main point of his, of his burden here. Now the spirit working in the church. This is point number five, I think. <clears throat> How is the Spirit working in the local assembly? Think of, think of your own local assembly, your own congregation. How is the Spirit working there? And we'd encourage us not to, it's good for us to be discerning if we can be discerning without being too critical of our local assembly. God is blessing us, we all have many faults, and our assemblies have many faults. One of the evidences, let's look at Ephesians 4. One of the evidences of, of the Spirit of God working in your local assembly is this. Begin at the first verse. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That verse 3 there means that the work of the Spirit of God in the local assembly of the saints will tend toward unity. The Spirit will unify the people. Now that has, has more than one meaning, and I'd like for us to focus on the second one. The first meaning is this, that the most of us want, want peach pie at our love feast. And so we, we, uh, the question is asked, what kind of pie do you want and, uh, and most of us raise our hands for peach pie. That's unity. Is it? That's not the kind of unity that the Spirit is laboring to, to
to bring about. It is a wonderful thing if we all decide to unify on a method or unify on a, on a practice. Those are good things. The Spirit of God works there as well. But He is wanting a unity of hearts. He is wanting something higher than all just wanting the same thing. You understand that difference. Now, now a unity of practice does does tend toward a feeling of oneness. So, so this is a part of the Spirit's working that we would actually unite on things. It is difficult to feel at one with hearts when you're all thinking differently. That's difficult. But the actual unity of the Spirit of God is when you can unify together in, in yielding, in love, in care for one another. It's similar to, to love in a very real way, un, this unity is, because you know how it is. We, we like someone because, but we love someone although. You understand that difference. So can you be unified with those that have a little different feeling about something than you? This is the unity of the Spirit of God. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, 7 here says this, Unto every one of us, we're thinking of the Spirit working in us, in the church, unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. This is something to, to pray for. This word grace in this particular instance is one of those places where grace is defined as the divine influence of God. On the heart. Think of this that God is measuring to every member a divine influence by His Spirit. How is this measured? This is too big of a topic for just now, but it's measured by, by His purposes for each individual, it's measured by, by our prayer for it, our surrender to it. All of these things measure to us a divine influence of God upon our hearts. I'd like to give us two little pictures this morning, and I uh, hope you're not uncomfortable with all of this, but I'd like for all of you to get your songbooks in your hand and, and uh, stand up and put your chairs in so the aisles, plenty of room here. And I'd like to give you one picture of the local church of God as it can work. I'd like for all of you just to walk around this room, up and down every aisle, in between all the tables, as you wish, in any fashion. Be very polite to each other as you pass each other. You need not say a word, but you can if you wish. Just begin walking and walk all over this room in every fashion you choose. Just walk back and forth. And say hello to each other and, and just uh, be polite and excuse, excuse yourself and, and uh, be, be happy with what you're doing and, and, uh, and just, just walk back and forth. Hello. Yeah. Good morning, Okay, I think we've I think we've tasted about enough of that. Now bring your songbooks up here around really close. Just fill this front area here. Bring your songbooks up and see if we can all get in a little tight place here. And I'd just like to sing one verse of 356 to give us another picture. Three hundred and fifty-six. Won't take a lot of time with this, but just another picture of us all uh, close to each other with common purpose. I'd like to just sing the second verse of, of this for Christ and His church. Which picture do you like best? 
We like this second one, don't we? Well, we're close. We have a common purpose. We're not just passing each other, not just being polite, but we have a cause. So let's go ahead and take our seats. Just wanted to give us a little picture. Okay, just go ahead and be seated. Just a couple more thoughts here, a couple more areas. One is, is um, preaching. We know that the Spirit of God works in the, in the church of God by preaching. We mentioned that earlier regarding the laying on of hands. And yesterday, I think the, the scripture was mentioned. It's amazing that it needed to be, this instruction needed, needed to be given so early in the history of the church. But despise not prophesyings. In other words, when the Spirit of God ordains and calls men to preach His gospel, yes, they are, they are just natural men like you know, and they have faults that you're aware of. But, but always contemplate that God may be using something in their calling to speak directly to you. Sometimes I have found this as a, just a little practice. Sometimes maybe there's a speaker that uh, just has kind of a monotonous voice and he's kind of quiet and maybe he's older and it didn't have much enthusiasm for what he's talking about. I have found this little tool helps me that gives importance to the Word of God if in my mind I repeat after Him with emphasis. Like the brother may say, uh, and He rose again the third day. And I say, He rose again the third day. It's like the thing is true and it's fantastic. So let's make it so. Now that may be an exhortation to ministers too. We maybe could preach, I know my wife has told me sometimes I look like I'm falling asleep in church and I give this excuse, well, if they would just get lively, I'd wake up, you know. Well, that's an excuse. I shouldn't be doing that. I should be awake because of the truth that's being preached. And so make it alive. Make that truth come alive by, first of all, receiving it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Uh, lastly here, trying the spirits. <clears throat> we need to be done. 1 John 4. Let's just turn there together. And it's a very, it's actually a very large part of consideration as we think about the spirits work in the church. <clears throat> but 1 John 4 says this, Believed, be, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And I would just give this exhortation again regarding what electricity has brought to us. It, it's the ability to, uh, to do what? To listen to any speaker you want to. To hear anything, any type of doctrine, any type of delivery, there are fantastic preachers out there. I say try the spirits, and let's look at this, what it says. <clears throat> Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Well, that sounds a little simplistic, doesn't it? That really everyone that says that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? We don't want to misuse this scripture. We want to understand what it's saying. But we know that there are those, the, the pastor that I spoke about earlier was a man who believes that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He believes that the Bible is the inspired word of God. But he has reasoned and reasoned until he has developed thinkings that insulate the whole thing of terrible sin. So he, without realizing it, has become a deceiver. What does this mean? Every spirit that confesseth 
that Jesus Christ is coming the flashes of God. Do you know that in that day there was quite a different, there were many different ideas of who Jesus was? And I think this is attempting to address this. There were those who did not believe, they believed that Jesus was just a man. Some did. Or others had this belief that there was this, there was this man named Jesus and the Spirit of God just came on him and made him do these different miracles and, and finally led him to the cross. And here's this poor guy, Jesus, that is, that is finally crucified because God just made him do this thing. I, I think this is saying this, and we don't, we don't want to stretch it. We want to make sure we're clear. But, but the belief that Jesus Christ, as God, came in the flesh... What's that move us to do? It's to hear his word and be obedient to his teachings. So every spirit that is not acknowledging that Jesus as God came in the flesh and is not teaching the people to be obedient to his teachings is not of God. It's a clarification and anything else but, but receiving him as God and hearing his word. God has spoken unto us through his son. The scripture says, if we get that wrong, we're being led by another spirit. And there are many of those in the world. We want us to... Just not be uh, discouraged. Let's turn to Ephesians 5, one last place. With this thought, do, do not be discouraged if you look about you and your, con your congregation seems to come up short in the work of the Spirit of God and you just think there's lots of improvements. And, and we do want to be mindful, want to be discerning, want to be an assistant in calling us all up higher. But, but view the church... As precious, Ephesians 5 and 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Get this picture of the, the preciousness of the church of God in every place to him. Gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it that, that it should be holy and without blemish. That's God's desire for his church. And he will present us someday, we like this exciting thought of, of the Lord taking all these imperfect people that have been in his church and presenting them faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's our hope.